Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Let's, let's pray together. Father, it is hard in our world to find a place that is really quiet. And sometimes, Lord, we prefer clamor and noise. But we read in your word that we are to be still and know that you are God. And, and maybe, Father, unless we are still, we will never know how much God you are. So help us, I pray, Lord, to be still, to be quiet, to know that you are God, and simultaneously, Lord, to know that we are yours. And we pray, Father, as we enter into your word this morning, prayerfully, that you will walk with us, and you will talk with us, and that you will tell us that we are your own. We are your people, Lord. We're the sheep of your pasture. We belong to you. And we enter your gates with great thanksgiving. And with joy. And with praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is good. All the time. As long as I can remember, Lauren could sing. My goodness, what a great song and what great music, particularly the instrumentals this morning have allowed us just to be quiet and just to meditate and think about God and that seems appropriate for our text today. Is it today? Then I will pray. Hans Kung wrote a 602 page book on living the Christian life and those who read it came back to him with um, their thoughts on the book, and somebody said to him, it's interesting that in 602 pages you never mention prayer. On living the Christian life, you never mention prayer. Why, why did you do that? And Kung was more honest than perhaps we might be. He said, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to talk about prayer when I was thinking about the Christian life, and he's not alone. Have you ever forgotten prayer? We do so at great risk to our spiritual lives because we were made for constant communion with God. And it was P.T. Forsyth who, every time you read his quotes, you realize that he didn't have a tact gene. He wrote very bluntly. He said, perhaps our inability to pray is the punishment for our refusal to pray. Today we return to our conversation about prayer. And what I'd like to do is look at the lives of some people who prayed because we learn about prayer by watching others pray. Jesus' disciples, after watching him again and again, said, teach us to pray. We've already considered the very best Jesus. But there are others, other profiles in the scripture. And perhaps the first that we might look at is Moses. So let's learn from him, if you will. Open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6 in our Bible reading, if you're on the plan with me, we're in Exodus right now and Exodus chapter 3 teaches us something about prayer as the discipline of taking God seriously. Let's stand together to hear the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. Now Moses was 
tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. T take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Thank you. You may be seated. We'll focus on chapter 3, but I couldn't help but do my due diligence by looking at the chapters before. It struck me sometime last night how alone Moses must have been. Alone in the world. I mean, it's true that his life was spared when the uh, Hebrew boys were supposed to be killed. But not long after that, when he was weaned, he was taken away to Pharaoh's house, and some would say that was a great advantage. But one thing it did was cut him off from his birth family, from his family of origin. And then when he got old enough to begin to identify with that family, when he was 40 years old, he decided that he would cast his lot with the Israelites instead of with the Egyptians. And he sort of went about it in his own way, but it ended up with him being further cut off from all of his people, the Israelites. He runs into the daughter of the local priest in Midian, and he marries her, but he is far from his family and far from his people. Isn't it interesting that when he's shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, and he doesn't have any sheep of his own apparently, it's very clear it's his father-in-law's flock, as he's shepherding them, and shepherding is something Israelites did. So maybe in his own heart, he's identifying with his own people. Egyptians, remember, from the book of Genesis, despised. They loathed anybody who tended livestock. But on his way out there alone in the wilderness, he discovers that he is not alone. God comes to him in his brokenness and draws him closer, carefully closer to himself. But I want you to see that as God is drawing Moses closer to himself, the net of that is going to be that Moses is drawn closer to his people. That somehow the closer we get to God, the closer we will get to people. We often find God in solitude, but he doesn't leave us in solitude. I find in my own study that I can read and study and pray for so long, and then I have to interact with people. I need people. Dunn said, no man is an island, entire unto itself. We can't live in separation. So I wonder where your cutoffs are where you've been cut off. Was it 
something somebody else did? Was it something that you chose, perhaps even for safety? When were you cut off? From whom are you cut off? And I wonder if this morning we're cut off from God and from people. And if those things are not interrelated with each other. What happens to Moses in that wilderness is he begins to pray. And that's what this is. He's talking to God. Well, first he's listening to God. And then he's talking to God. And he will become a great man of prayer, such a man of prayer that Pharaoh will say in Exodus chapter 8, verse 28, pray for me. One thing I know about you, Moses, you have a connection with God. Please pray for me. And there will come a time when the Israelites rebel and build their golden calf. And God is so fed up with them that he's ready to push them away and It's Moses who intercedes for them in chapter 33. Before the tabernacle is established, there's the tent of meeting. And it's such a pattern in his life to go and pray in that tent of meeting that the people wait at the doors of their tents knowing their leader is about to go and pray. And when they see him walk by and enter into the tent of meeting where the Shekinah glory of God descends and he meets with God face to face like a friend, they worship just knowing that God has come to meet with Moses on their behalf. And they bring their requests. And as he draws near to God, he draws near to his people and draws his people near to God. This is the role of a priest. He's born into a priestly family. But right now, as we come to him today, all he is is the son-in-law of a priest. That's all he knows But he knows as he encounters God how much he needs him. Frederick Buechner said, we learn to praise God not by paying him compliments, but by paying attention. Moses gives God his undivided attention as he comes there in the wilderness. He finds the God who has found him and he fears the Lord as he takes off his shoes and hides his face. And then he follows the Lord. And perhaps these are facets. Prayer is so multifaceted like a diamond that we can't catch all of it at once. But if we could catch just these facets this morning, we would discover that as we pray, as we live a life of prayer, what we do is find the God who has already found us. And I I want you to notice in Moses' case, and next week as we look at Elijah, that, that prayer is really at God's initiative, It's God who shows up there and is burning the bush and the bush is not being consumed. And when Moses turns, it's God who speaks first. And I wondered if that's the way that we pray. Do we realize as we find God in the morning that we only find him because he has already found us? Moses there alone, God finds him and as he's looking, he sees this bush and he and encounters God and he comes face to face with the God who cares about him. It's when he turns and sees the bush, Moses thinks, I'll I'll go there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And I wonder where God meets us. I read this week about a nun who recently in her convent, 85 years old, was leaving 
um, for the day, got in the elevator. The elevator was broken. She was there. She didn't realize it when it broke. She would be there for, um, for, uh, for three nights and four days. She would be in there. Fortunately, she said she took some celery with her. Small help there, huh? <laughs> celery and cough drops and water. That's what she had. She said, I, I realized pretty quickly I would either have to panic or pray, and I decided I would pray. And I realized it was a gift because God was inviting me to draw closer to him. And I wonder what circumstances he will use in your life and my life this week. What bush will burn? What did Elizabeth Barrett Browning say? Earth, where we live, earth is crammed with heaven. And every bush is ablaze with the glory of God. But only those who take off their shoes, see it. The rest sit around and pick blackberries and daub their natural faces unaware. I don't want to live unaware of the presence of God, of the power of God. So we find the God who finds us. And then this is, this is what we so often see, this fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this is a beginning point in his life as God reveals himself to him there on the mountain of God. And I wondered as I read this, so where is the mountain of God? I'm not the only one who wonders that. If you knew where the mountain of God was, wouldn't you go there? On your next Holy Land tour, wouldn't you go there? There's Jabal, Musa, the place that's commonly thought of as that place in the Sinai Desert, Mount Horeb, later called Mount Sinai, same place he brings the people back to where he gets the mount, he goes up the mountain and there, there are the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them. And the archaeologists have tried to find that mountain. They tried to find it. Where is the mountain of God? What's interesting is that when the Israelites settle in the promised land, they don't make pilgrimages to this mountain. That's why we don't know where that mountain is, because I think if they'd gone every year, we'd know where it was. Instead, they said, well, Mount Zion, that's the mountain where God, that's the mountain where God is to be worshipped. And they built the temple on Mount Zion. Remember that, right? So now there's a new mountain of God. So where is the mountain of God? And here's the deal. The prophets would say to the people of Israel, it's interesting that you go up Mount Zion to pray once a week, but every other day you go to the other high places and you make your offerings and you offer your immorality and idolatry to God every other day of the week, but you go up once a week on the Sabbath to the temple and God says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Can I just put it this way? Which mountain is not God's mountain? Which one? Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'm saying that when we perceive the presence of God, we must then, of course, practice the presence of God because wherever you are, he is. How does that change the way that we live? One thing about the fear of the Lord is it interrupts our compartmentalization of our lives where we can say, well, I'll reserve Sunday for God, but then the rest of the week I find myself these days focusing on holiness to the Lord in my morning preparation on Sunday. And it occurred to me this morning as I was preparing, so which day isn't a day of holiness to the Lord? You get a day, six, 
How many days don't belong to the Lord? Which mountain is not God's? Which day is not the Lord's? Which one of us doesn't belong to him? He created us. He redeemed us. We are his. We belong to him. And what does it mean to to take off our shoes? Some of you have that practice in your home. I'm curious. How many of you don't wear your shoes in your home? It's okay. Raise your hand. Yeah. See, I mean, some of us have that. I don't have that. I need to have that practice, but I don't have that practice. We take off our shoes. Why? Because you don't want to track dirt all the way through the house. My mother, if she told me once, she told me a million times, as she said, don't track dirt through the house. Why take off your shoes, Moses? Because, you're, because God is holy. He's other. He's of a different kind. He's not like any other God that anybody else worships. So, so, so fear the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means... Tony Evans says to take God seriously. And we don't just take God seriously with our talk. I mean, most of us do that. If you knew God was there, how would you talk? But we've just confirmed that God is always there. So how should we talk? No, Tony Evans says you don't fear the Lord with your talk. You fear the Lord with your walk. I have a friend who said to me, during a period of his life where he was in disobedience to God, he said, I feared God with my talk. I just didn't fear God with my walk. Here's what fearing the Lord is. It's taking God seriously. And I wonder if those who know us think that we take God seriously. It's not that we live in constant trepidation and fear, trembling. It's that the way we talk and the way we walk says we believe there is a God and we are accountable to him. One has put it this way. I used to think the fear of the Lord was Like you're driving down the road and you see a policeman in your rearview mirror. How do you drive? Well, differently, really? If the police are right behind you? He said, I always thought it was like that, so I'm careful to use the blinker. I'm careful to, you know, not California stop, not rolling through the stop sign, but stop completely. And I see that I'm at 64 instead of 65. I don't want to tempt the the police officer, but but the one who wrote this said, you know, it's, it's really more like... You're driving down the road and your father is behind you in the car behind you. And you want to do right. <laughs> I mean, when my father was driving behind me, I wanted to do right. But you also know that he loves you. And so your, your reverence for God, your fear of the Lord is reverence mixed with trust, mixed with love. I think that gets at it. We find the one who has found us. We fear the Lord. We take him seriously and then he says we follow the Lord and you see something of that in his continuing life of prayer so he's always in intercession and he's always seeking the Lord and we come to that passage in in chapter 33 verse 11 where he just he goes to the tent of meeting and he says to God are you going to go up with us into the land and God has told him I'm not going to go because I'm tired of these people And he says, if you don't go with us, don't let us go at all. Don't let us go anywhere without you, God. That's his prayer. And then, because he knows God so well, he says to God, show me your glory. I know you, God. Tozer says, he takes his knowledge of God as an opportunity to know God better. That's prayer. He's talking to God. He's seen God's glory on Mount Sinai. And now they're down from Mount Sinai. And he says, if I could just see you one more time, God. 
Tozer says, if you look at the holy men and holy women of the scriptures, what you will find is this magnificent thirst and hunger for God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Early in the morning, God, my heart thirsts for you. My soul and flesh long for you. God, you have made us for yourself. We're restless until we find rest in you, Augustine said. We know we need God. And you hear it in Moses' prayer in chapter 33 when he says, God, just show me your glory. I gotta know you better. And God hides him in the cleft of the rock and lets all of his glory pass by. And some of us know God, and we're content with that. But if we were to enter into a life of prayer, we would discover, I think, that daily we would know him better so that we would have to look back at the end of each day and say, God, do I know you better today than I did yesterday? For the growing disciple of Jesus Christ, the answer to that is yes. It's, it's onward, it's upward in knowledge of him, coming to know him. How do we do that? Mary Jeeg, a missionary to India, wrote a book about drawing near to God. She said that in her prayer time, when she wanted to know what God wanted her to do, she just, she would always into her prayer time, she would always enter with a blank piece of paper and a pen. And she would start her time of prayer by listening to God. God says to Moses, 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 and Moses says, Here I am. I'm an open book. What do you want me to do? I want you to go back and lead my people out out of Egypt. I want you to go back and do that. And Moses said, who am I? There's humility there. And God says, I am. And Moses will come to the place where he writes a psalm that's included in our book of Psalms. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were formed. God, you, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God says, my name is I am. Moses says, you are. He doesn't just pay him compliments. He pays attention. One day, Mary Jeeg was writing. She was having a conflict with a fellow missionary. God, what do you want me to do today? She waited. Give her an egg. Give her an egg, she thought. What an odd thought. That surely is coming from me, not from you, God. But she wrote it down. And then she obeyed. Now, for some, to take an enemy an egg would be providing ammunition. I understand. But but that day, her friend said, I needed one more egg to feed my family tonight. Thank you for your obedience to God. What if... What if we took God seriously? What if we talked to him regularly? What if we said, God, tell me what you want me to do today? And then when he told us, we obeyed him. Wouldn't we be finding the one who's found us? Wouldn't we live in the fear of the Lord? Wouldn't we follow him? And that's what he wants. For us to follow him. Not just to pay him compliments. But to pay attention. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us as you do. Thank you for your amazing mercy and grace. Thanks for finding us. Lord, forgive us for the times we have not taken you seriously. We are broken and we are cut off from you.
and from other people. And today, Lord, we would draw near to you because your word says draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And we believe you and take you at your word. And we ask, God, that you would help us to see all that you have done for us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.